0: Hi there, welcome to Semester 7, Episode 4 of the IVUI's Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. This season, we're cracking the code, translating common admissions speak. This means we'll be decoding and defining some commonly used admissions language and terms. I'm Tasha, your host. I'm an admissions counselor at IvyWise, a former international admissions officer at USC, and former assistant director of international admissions at Boston University. My guest today is Robin, former senior assistant director of admission at Georgetown University and former admissions officer at Vanderbilt University.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here with
0: you. Thanks so much, Robin. We're so happy to have you. So, today we'll be defining some terms in order to answer the question, what are early action applications? We're going to start by defining different early action application types, providing examples, and discussing how these admissions options are used by different colleges and universities. Then we'll also explain how to be strategic based on what your admissions goals are. So, let's make sure we're on the same page by defining some terms. What is early action to begin with?
1: Sure, so early action is an application plan that allows students to apply to apply earlier in the fall. Generally, it's going to be a deadline of November 1st, but in some cases, the deadlines are as early as September or even the middle of October. By applying through early action, a student will receive their admissions decision sooner. Um, Typically, by the end of January, that's when most early action results will have been released. Some come out earlier, though, even in mid-December. So it's really a way for students to kind of get a jumpstart on their applications um, and kind of take some work off their plates in the fall semester um, and I think it helps students stay better organized, honestly, overall in the admissions process by working on things um, sooner rather than later. And it gives them a peace of mind as well, as far as hopefully hearing back positive news from a university sooner than the regular decision release date, which is generally in March or early April.
0: And how does early action compare to early decision? I know this is a really important distinction that isn't always clear.
1: Yes, um, that, that's really important to understand the differences between the two. So the key difference between early action and early decision is that early action is non binding. What that means is if a student is admitted through an early action plan, that student isn't committed to having to attend that school. They can still wait and to hear back from other schools and weigh their options. Um, early decision is binding. Uh, the application deadlines for early decision are similar to early action, generally around November 1st, or some, in some cases, November 15th, but by applying to a school early decision, the student is committing to attend that school if the school offers them admission. So early decision or ED, as we often refer to it, it's great for students who have fallen in love with a particular school and they want to demonstrate their interest in that school. However, it's not always the best early application plan for every student due to its binding nature.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Robin. And I think it's really important for students not to uh, conflate these two application types because they are quite different. But of course, they both start with the word early, so it can get confusing. Uh, and so, you know, I will just plug that IB-wise, uh has a lot of resources, including in our knowledge base, where we really break down these differences, um, if it's easier for you to see it in writing um, for the different kinds of early applications. But Again, today, we are only focusing on early action and the different kinds of early action applications, because there are different types within this category as well. But before we do that, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Why would a student even consider applying early action? You already told us a little bit about the time uh, component. Is that really most, mostly the reason, Robin?
1: Well, I think for students, um, you know, as they're navigating the whole college admissions process, um, and I would say, especially over the past couple of decades now, these early action options have become more and more popular with students. Um, At the same time, early action applicant pools tend to be smaller compared to the regular decision applicant pool. So if anything, students are entering into a smaller applicant pool and in some ways, you know, competing against fewer students. It's still selective um, at many schools. Um, However, by applying early, the student is signaling to the school that it's a school they're very interested in, even by applying early action, even though it doesn't have that binding component, you're still indicating to the school, hey, your school I'm genuinely really interested in um, because you're taking the time to work on the application and get it submitted sooner. And then as I mentioned before, knowing that students will receive their admissions results sooner, like I said, in some cases, middle of December or at the latest would be like end of January. That's a huge relief for students um, to to hear back from schools earlier rather than having to wait until um, March to get their admissions decisions. Um, So I I think, you know, for those reasons, that's why we've seen such an increase in the number of students applying early action to
0: various universities. And like you said, it also has to do with the fact that students uh, can then be done with their applications sooner. And so they're just more prepared, maybe, um, you know, hopefully working during the summer to kind of start preparing those applications is definitely a big part of it. Okay, so as promised, we are going to talk about some specific early action types uh, and for that, I'm going to ask you, Robin, if you can break down these two terms. So the first term is restrictive early action, and the second term is single choice early action. So how do you want to do this?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is always really fun. Um, there, there's so many different terms out there, um, t- to try to understand and whatnot. So I guess I would start by saying that when those two terms first were introduced in the admissions landscape, they they were more distinctive. Uh, but over time, what we've seen is that colleges have started using those terms interchangeably to describe their early action policy. So it's really important for students to carefully read on the admissions portion of the school's website what the school's early action policy is. Now in general, many schools have early action and don't have restrictive early action or single choice. There's plenty of schools out there that have good old regular early action. Um, However, as far as these two terms go, restrictive early action generally means that a student can apply early action to that particular school and other schools via early action, but they may not simultaneously apply early decision. That's the binding program. So for example, um, Georgetown and Notre Dame both have restrictive early action. So you can apply early action to Georgetown. You could even apply early action to Georgetown and Notre Dame. However, you could not apply early decision somewhere, but you could apply early action to any other schools, assuming you're not violating what that school's early action policy is if they have a very distinctive policy. Um, Now, as I was saying, these that the term restrictive early action and single choice early action, now those terms have been started to be, you know colleges are using them interchangeably. So just to share an example of that, Caltech also has what they call restrictive early action. Um, however, um, Caltech only allows students to apply early action to other public universities, not private universities. So that's a distinction there, right? Because as I was talking about Georgetown and Notre Dame, just as examples, under their restrictive early action policy, you just cannot apply early decision anywhere else, but you can apply early action to any school, private or public. However, Caltech says, You may not apply early decision, nor may you apply early action to any private universities, but you may apply early action to public universities. So there's a little bit of a distinction there, which I think just reinforces the point I made earlier about the importance of really carefully reading the early policy that's available on the school's website to ensure that you're not in violation of of their policy.
0: That's really interesting, Robin. This is the first I'm hearing about this Caltech nuance, as I haven't worked with any students recently on a Caltech application. I know that we can't read uh, the minds of the of the people making the decisions over there, but can we potentially speculate or think about why there might be a distinction between public and private universities in this case?
1: Uh, it's, I mean, honestly, I, I think it's hard to say. I mean, it may, I think it's a way of maybe controlling, you know, application numbers to a certain extent. I'm sure it has to do with managing, you know, the application numbers and really trying to manage um, and predict yield as well, because you're limiting, obviously, the number of schools a student can apply to EA. You're limiting an ED from the mix. So you're shrinking the student's applicant pool to a certain extent. Um, which means that the student is self-selecting to apply to your school, meaning that the school is your school is potentially a top pick school for the student. So that's where I think it likely connects to, um, predicting yield and whatnot. Yield referring to the likelihood of the student to enroll at
0: the college. Thank you so much for that. That that's a really important thing to remember is that ultimately, uh, early action you know, is a way of showing demonstrated interest. And so especially these restrictive programs, excuse me, may sh- may be a way for uh, universities to kind of understand the extent of that interest if you're making that choice uh, to, to apply to them, uh, if, if they're restricting other um, options. Okay, <laughs> so what is the advantage of a restrictive early action program?
1: Well, as you just said, I mean, it's a way for the student to signal to the school that that school is one of their top choices because it's, it, they cannot apply early decision somewhere, which is in many ways, like the best way to show a school you want to go to their school because it's binding. So you immediately, uh, uh, you know, remove a whole portion of students from the applicant pool um, by having a restrictive early action um, option in place. Um, I mean the advantage obviously for the students as I mentioned already is that they're going to receive their admissions decision earlier um, than students applying via regular decision which has typically January deadlines so I think just getting the news sooner um whether it's you know the news you're hoping for or if it's not you then you still have time to maybe pivot and, and have a plan B in place and and, and 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 enact a plan B if necessary um and again, because early action, even through the restrictive early action, it's still non-binding. So what's nice for students is they receive their result. And if it's positive, you know, if they've been offered admission, that's obviously something to celebrate. And they still have time, again, to, to weigh their options, to hear back from other schools. Maybe they want to go back and visit some of the schools where they were admitted. Um, It gives them that time to really weigh their options because- they ultimately won't have to indicate which school they want to attend until May 1st, which is when typically the universal, you know, de- enrollment deposit deadline is. So it allows students to weigh their options and, and whatnot. Um, and I guess maybe connected to that would be like, are there any disadvantages to, you know, applying um early action or restrictive early action. Well, I'd say disadvantage is that you can't apply ED somewhere. So if, if, if there's a school you love that has ED, but there's also a school you love that has restrictive early action, you as the student, this is certainly something I know you and I, as counselors, help students kind of figure out what, what's the best option for them. Um, so I think another disadvantage to consider, though, is that some students really need that full fall semester to really demonstrate their academic um, strengths, because when you apply via these early action plans, you may have first quarter grades from uh, your high school from your senior year. Um, colleges typically request them if you're applying early, but if your ju- your your high school record through your junior year, those are going to be the most current grades they see. And if there was a you know a dip uh, at some point junior year it might be better for you to get a full semester of academic work under your belt as a senior. Um, That might make you a stronger applicant um, in in the long run. I think another thing to consider too, um, because sometimes students assume that with early decision being binding, early action non-binding, but applying earlier is going to give me an edge. And while the admit rates for early decision are higher because it is binding, you don't see the same high admit rates for early action. Um, and so in some cases, you know, there isn't necessarily going to be that significant advantage for a student um, applying early action. But again, some students, like I said, are ready and they've, they've, you know, everything's on track. They're ready to apply early. They know they love the school. I think that's a great option for them, but in other cases, it might be better for a student to to delay and apply in January for regular decision or something like that.
0: And Robin, thank you. That's a really important point you just made about, you know, that the actual percentage differences uh, between admission rates first for early decision, early action, regular decision. Can we just go back and, and take a moment to, to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I, so we talked about the difference between early action and early decision, um, which is not the whole of what this episode is about, but is definitely super related because it's important to understand how early action differs. But now I'm realizing, you know, it's actually really important to understand how early action differs from um, an advantage perspective in terms of admit rates.
1: Sure. So just just in terms of like between like early decision and early action, just clarifying that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So because, as I was saying before, because there's the binding component to early decision. Colleges know it's in their best interest to offer admission to students who've applied early decision because those are guaranteed students who are going to be enrolling the the next fall it's a way for a college to fill their their incoming freshman class it's not uncommon to see um information put out by universities where they they indicate they fill you know 50% sometimes even more of their freshman class just through early decision alone um and so you can see sometimes in early decision double digit acceptance rates and then in regular decision, where there's tens of thousands of more applicants out there, and there's not as much space available because part of the class has already been part of the incoming freshman class has already been filled through regu- or through early decision. That means it's even harder to get in during regular decision. Um, so you'll see in, in you know in some cases a single digit acceptance rate in um, regular decision compared to the double digit acceptance rate for the same school via early decision and again with with early action you don't often see that same um disparity uh just as an example because i, I used to work for georgetown they actually use their regular decision admit rate to determine what their early action admit rate will be for the following fall. So there's virtually no difference other than there's a smaller number of applicants in the early action pool versus regular decision. So you, you don't often see that much of a you know, range in terms of the admit rate percentages between early action and regular, as you do at least not as large as what you will see between early decision and regular decision.
0: That's really helpful. I'm I'm glad we took a second there. Okay. So as promised, (laughs) the next and sometimes interchangeably used term, single choice early action. So what what has that term meant traditionally?
1: Yes. So (laughs) Traditionally, what this term meant was that a school that had this policy in place essentially was saying to a student, that student could only apply early action to that school, as well as early action to any public, other public universities or military academies, et cetera. Um, and also that you could not apply ED somewhere. Okay. Um, the Ivy league, um, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, I shouldn't say all the Ivy league, but some members of the Ivy league, um, have that type of policy in place. But again, as I was saying before, right, that the terms are used uh, interchangeably. So if you were listening earlier and you heard me talk about Caltech, um, what they really are doing is what was traditionally known as single choice early action. So if you're interested, let's just use Yale as an example. If you're interested in Yale and that's your top pick, you can apply single choice early action to Yale. Okay. So where else might you be able to apply to early if you are doing that? You could apply early action to a public university like University of Wisconsin, Madison, Indiana, UVA, Michigan. Um, but you could not apply to a private university that has early action. You couldn't apply to Yale and Georgetown. You couldn't apply to Yale and Villanova, for example. So it's you can apply to that one school Yale, in this case, as I'm using as an example, and any other public school, though, that has early action in place, but not any private schools that have early action, nor may you um, you may not apply to an early decision school.
0: And a quick follow up uh, along the same line as my earlier question regarding Caltech Um, why would a university, let's say like, like those Ivy's that you mentioned that have single choice, early action choose to offer this as opposed to early decision.
1: Again, I think it all connects to just enrollment management and whatnot. I mean, because there's the non-binding factor, um, with still at play here with, with early action, um, they're not necessarily filling a certain number of their class, um, through, through that, um, by having a single choice early action plan in place as I've, you know, similar to restrictive early action, um, you're eliminating applicants who also want to, you know, who are interested in a school that offers early decisions. So you take that group of students out of the mix. Um, and if anything, by only allowing students to apply to public universities, you're really shrinking um, the number of applicants that you might, might be getting. Um, so I think a lot of it does have to do with like managing the number of, of applications. And when you think about it, I mean, it's a self-selected applicant pool, right? If a student is choosing to apply to, you know, Princeton via single choice early action, All that leaves them in terms of where else they can apply would be public universities. And they may or may not have public schools they're interested in. I should have also said too they students may apply to international universities um, as part of within that as well. But it's a signal to the school once again that you're you're my top pick because I can't apply to Princeton and Yale and Georgetown all at once. It's I I'm applying to Princeton, you're my top pick. And then there's some other, obviously I would Advise the students to have a couple of other schools in the mix there in the early round. So, again, a lot of it just comes down to enrollment management um, and dealing, you know, figuring out um, ultimately yield prediction and stuff like that.
0: Awesome. Okay. I know I've, I've thrown some curveballs at you there. So let's get back on track. Um, it seems we already answered all of these, right? Basically.
1: Well, we can talk about like, <laughs> like the type of students who are suited for early action. I mean, if you want me to expand on that.
0: Yeah, like I, can I refer, think so.
1: I mean, I can refer back to like what I was saying about academics and stuff and how the students might not be best suited for early action if they are still kind of getting their footing academically.
0: Yeah, I think let's let's try to take some time to expand on that. And since you've already kind of answered this um, I'll just ask kind of like a concluding question to kind of make sure everyone understood what we said. I, know. I, I feel like my brain is so scrambled today too. I'm like, I'm not making <laughs> no, you're, you're, around. you're doing a really great job. It's just like really dense and confusing. <laughs> so, um, okay. So what kinds of students are suited to these kinds of early action programs, Robin? Is it, is it good for anyone or are there certain students who might have more success?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, going back to something, well, going back to a couple of things I was mentioning earlier, um, you know, we have seen these early action applicant pools grow in number. So early action is getting more competitive in general as well. And then the other point I made earlier about grades is is important. Um, you know, I was speaking about the fact that a student who maybe um, had some slips along the way, junior year academically, might not be best suited to apply for an early action program because their grades through their junior year are going to be the most recent grades that the university is using to evaluate them. Um, so when it comes to early action, who's best suited for it, this is where school, I mean, schools really want to be able to snap up those Academic powerhouse students, um, you know, who have taken a rigorous course load at their high school, have earned strong grades. Maybe they have strong testing um, if they are reporting test scores. Since we're still in this test optional um, landscape right now, there are also students who've had a significant impact um, at their school in their local community. I mean, they're they're stellar, and I this is a way for schools to. Admit those students early and then for lack of a better word like court them like along the way, hoping that the student will potentially enroll at their institution. So it tends to be very academically strong students who are also equally strong in terms of their extracurricular profile and such that are going to be more successful in the early action rounds. And I would also say that for a lot of universities. students with for you know there's a lot of special considerations um as well meaning recruited athletes um at at some schools um legacies um underrepresented demographic groups etc those students are also students that are sometimes encouraged to apply um, under an early action plan as well and again it all goes back to the universities wanting to try to build that incoming freshman class again, not even not not through the binding option of early decision, but still with early action, they are trying to build their their incoming freshman class. Um, and they're trying to snap up the most competitive students, the most compelling students as well. So that would be something that I think as students are engaging in their own self reflection and trying to figure out like what would be the best option for me. Um, they need to really kind of have those honest conversations with themselves i will say too though you know with schools um especially larger public institutions that have early action and it's not limiting in any way um it's often a good idea to apply early action to to the public schools especially your you know your in-state flagship university um etc because those schools i mean they tend to you know be very popular and as they're offering admission along, you know, along the way, and students are potentially, you know, indicating that they will enroll, um, the 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 class gets filled up. So there are definitely certain schools where you very much need to apply via early action in order to have a better opportunity to be admitted.
0: And again, this conversation is really just uh, being very fruitful because it keeps bringing up. These uh, questions that I had not <laughs> had not planned on, but I'm realizing, you know, I, I want to make sure folks understand what the admissions decision possibilities are uh, if a student applies early action to any of these early action programs, whether restrictive, single choice, or just regular early action.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, certainly one outcome would be that the students offered um, admission, um, which is incredibly exciting. Um, In some cases, a student might be deferred to regular decision, and that means their application will get a full review again, um, and the students are encouraged to send updated grades, um, things of that nature. I have seen situations where students have been who applied early action, um, are sometimes just put on, a, on the wait list already. Um, that isn't out. It's not as common, but I have seen that happen as well, meaning that they're not evaluated in regular at all, but they are on a wait list. Um, certainly there's the possibility of a student not being admitted. And then a common question that I sometimes get when I am having this conversation with students is, Oh, well, if I'm, if I'm not admitted early action, can I reapply? for regular decision. And the answer is no, if you're not being admitted early action, then you you're done and you move on from that school. Um, and then I'm trying to think, I feel like there was one, Oh, I was going to say that I have also seen some schools, um, just to make things even more con- convoluted. <laughs> um, some schools have both early decision and early action. And I have seen some schools where if a student has applied early action and they're not admitted, the school has reached out to the student and said, would you like to be moved to early decision if they have an early decision to option? So that's something that some schools have been employing um, in their admissions practices as well as giving the students the option to commit and potentially have maybe a better chance of being admitted by Switching to an early decision two application, which just a quick clarification, it's still binding. It's just a later deadline than early decision one. It's typically a January deadline for early decision two. Hopefully, that wasn't too confusing.
0: <laughs> no, I'm actually glad you brought up early decision two because that is the the other early option that we had not discussed at all. Uh, but you're exactly it's it's within the bounds of early decision generally in the sense that it's binding. It's just a later deadline yes. um, as both early decision and early action. Whew. OK, so before <laughs> we go, <laughs> uh, before we go, I'd love to do just like a quick recap uh, to make sure that we're all on the same page, that our brains aren't absolute mush, um, and and to leave folks with a positive sense that uh, these programs can, can definitely be uh, you know, a good option for some students as they're looking at their top choices. So, let's recap. What's early decision and what's early action? What's the main difference?
1: Okay. So early decision is binding. It means if you apply to that school under their early decision plan, if you are admitted, you are committed to attending that school. I should also mention you may only apply early decision to one school. Both you and your school-based counselor have to sign off um, indicating that you understand what the early decision policy is, et cetera. So it's, it's if you're admitted, you get in. Uh, if you're admitted, you are going to that school. That's early decision. Early action is more user friendly. We might say it means you will apply earlier in in the fall, um, and still hear. And once you hear back, you don't have to go to the school if they admit you. You have time to weigh your options. So early decision, binding commitment. If you get in, you're going to the school. Early action, non-binding. If you're admitted, you still have plenty of time to weigh your options and wait for your results from other schools.
0: Excellent. And within early action, there are restrictive programs like restrictive early action and single choice early action, which we will refer you back to <laughs> the, the meat of, of the podcast. Um, just because it it is there are some lengthy definitions there. But I think on the whole, the lesson to be taken for these restrictive programs in early action is. It really depends. And make sure you are
1: carefully reading what the school's policy is um, as it relates to early action. As I said earlier, there's so many universities out there that have just a regular early action that doesn't have these various limitations that we've talked about today. But we were highlighting the nuance that exists within the world of early action um, by speaking about the restrictive early action, the single choice early action. So You should be doing your research, you know, in terms of the colleges you're interested in. And part of that research needs to include what are the application options available to me? Do they have early action? If so, what type is it? Do they have
0: early decision? Yeah. So those are all things to keep in mind. Exactly. Thanks so much, Robin. (laughs) You did such a great job of putting that all together. Um, So that just about wraps up this episode of Just Admit It. Thank you so much, Robin. Oh, thanks for having me. I always enjoy doing these. I'm so glad. I love having you on. So please stay tuned, everyone, for a new episode every other week throughout the fall. Next up, what's the difference between test optional and test blind? In the meantime, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. If there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the next semester, please email us at podcast at ivywise.com. And don't forget to follow us on socials for more resources on the higher ed landscape. You can find us at follow IvyWise. From IvyWise, I'm your host, Tasha, and this has been Just Admit It, Cracking the Code. See you next time.